Hello you lovely, lucky lockdown folks. Welcome to another episode of the Hurtwood News Podcast. Today it's a bit of a long and rambly one, so uh, strap yourselves in. We've got an excellent conversation between Giselle and Louise talking about what they're both up to in lockdown. We've got some fantastic life advice from Shanice peppering the entire episode. We've got a brand new poem from our very own Andy Johnson about how to not appear like you have coronavirus in public. We've got another uh, instalment of uh, Lit Crit Kitchen with myself and Louise returning to that seminal text street kind of desired by Tennessee Williams. And finally, we've got an inspiring, motivational, creatively integral, I didn't really know where I was going with that, conversation between myself and the lovely Olive and the lovely Alice talking about their creative inspirations, what they're working on at the moment, how to deal with the absence of uh, the Edinburgh Fringe and yeah where they're hoping to go with all of their all of their projects so we hope you enjoy welcome to another episode of the Herdwood Mules podcast see you soon folks okay got it I think it's recording you're recording yay okay um hey so join us um Giselle and I are having um, a little chat about um about being locked down for now how many weeks is it now i believe i've been home for four weeks um four or five weeks a long time yeah. um and how we're filling our time and uh, who it's most difficult for we've been chatting for ages but we just thought we'd start to share some of the ideas because um Giselle, you're just saying that you're actually getting going on a project that really interests you which is your gaming project yeah, uh, surprise, surprise. Um, wow. With more um, rambles about gaming. Yeah, so my, my best friend and I have um, been planning on developing a video game for about two years now. Yeah. And now that we finally have the time, um, we're making a start on developing that, which is exciting stuff. So Excellent. I've been quite busy with that. Yeah. yeah. Is, is, that, is that really demanding of, of what? Your imaginative skills, your technical skills, a combo? Uh, mostly technical skills because we're doing it on a platform called Unity. Um, it's a big gaming engine, and um, luckily my friend is a computer science student, so he's been um, tinkering with that, and I've yeah. been attempting to figure out what everything means. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's quite exciting. And busy is it, is it moving forward slowly? Yeah, slowly. I'm having to try and set us deadlines so we actually get it done. <laughs> um, That's one of the problems, isn't it? That with endless yeah. time, it's harder to uh, actually kind of coordinate your, you know, the thing, <laughs> your things to do list. <laughs> Definitely. Gosh, yeah. and there's, it just feels like there's so much, far too much to do, which is completely the opposite, um, completely the opposite of what I was worried about. Yeah. Thought I'd just be um milling around and <laughs> lying in bed all day. But it's I, exactly how I feel. There's so many things I want to do that um that yes, I'm in danger of stressing myself. With yeah. <laughs> I mean, even just uh, all sorts of things, you know, from interesting things like the game, and I've been trying to write some music for the first time ever. But also, yeah. just really boring. Boring things like I've been helping my parents with their tax returns. Okay. <laughs> it's just that is a yeah, <laughs> yep. Um, so definitely Excellent. up to lots. Excellent. So, so um, how many of you in the house? Just three of you. Three of us. Yep. Yeah. Um, been uh, yeah, trying to trying to not get into too many arguments, as you can. I'm sure, as you can imagine, um, lots of people right now 
struggling to struggling to be patient with each other but it's been going generally quite well yeah um been in touch with lots of people from hurtwood um (laughs) gosh let's think uh yeah lots of people seem to be um mostly waiting for it to be over i think uh the more extroverted souls are struggling yeah um um yeah uh, i think Firstly, it's it's been quite good in that, um, especially for the A2s, we have this time now to um, rest and restore and heal. And mm. like you said, figure things out about ourselves at yeah. such a funny time. <laughs> um, I mean, it's such an odd time for this to happen for us, 18, just going into uni. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I... It's, it's been beneficial for me personally, and I think probably has been for lots of other people my age it's sort of like a reset for a lot of people I feel Um, stepping away from the intense social interactions we have to go through on a daily basis normally Mm. to sort of focusing more on yourself and your health and stuff Mm. like that I think yeah it's been quite good are you doing much of that as well um actually not as much as I have hoped because um with with I think we had a talk about it actually before Hurtwood very promptly, very abruptly. Uh, it didn't end suddenly. It was yeah. it was like it was like the Titanic going down. It was it like was. oh oh let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah it was very abrupt. Lots to be said about that day. Um, but yeah, art uh, um, in terms of drawing and visual art, I haven't been doing as much as I'd have hoped, just because I feel I need to step away from it after A level fine okay. art. Okay, you need to literally metaphor, draw a line, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in a sort of paradox, <laughs> sort of paradox, I am drawing a line, I suppose. Um, but I will be continuing with that um, for my art foundation. Yes. I have been writing a lot. Um, been writing heaps and heaps of poetry. Well, you're, you're, I think your work is is you're increasingly what what I've always loved about your work, both your visual and your verbal, is it's just it's clean. It's 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 kind of um, unfussy. You kind of pair away stuff, and uh, I'm doing all sorts of hand gestures here, by the way. <laughs> Good. It, it, it's. Um, yeah, you 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 cut away the nonsense and just you know you it, yes, it's clean. It's the best word for it. Um, and um, I really love the one. We'd have to we'd have to do some um, beeping of expletives, but I love the farewell to your room just because again that's so on the money for <laughs> yes, for now and, and and for my for my generation as well. It's being the post nine eleven generation. Yes, it's sort of the first major thing we're going through. Yes. I mean, do you know? Do you know what? I really, truly hope it's the it is the major thing that you will go through. I think for me, it's a uh, writing is so therapeutic because I have such a busy mind where I'm usually completely unable to pin down one singular thought unless I'm doing it through poetry, which is why okay. when when you very uh, kindly said it comes across as very clean. Yes. Because. These these are the things I've selected out of the whole jumble of overwhelming thought yes. um, to to put on paper, and I guess that's that's quite. I find it very helpful in staying sane in uh, times like these, or even just every day. Yeah, um, when we're in normal <laughs> normal time. Um, yeah, which is yeah, yeah, what's normal, I suppose. Yeah, well, you've got such skill. I mean, th- th- those those 
skills of illustration like that are all, uh, 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 I mean, are kind of shockingly um, uh, commercial, I would have thought, aren't mm-hmm. they? Yes, yeah. Which That's is which is fabulous if you can, um, you know, if, if that can, uh, if you can use that in some way to fund your, 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 um, <laughs> your, your uh, more intense uh, creativity, I suppose. So, mm-hmm. hey, listen, I ought to not take much more of your time up, but I'm going to say that I will, um, I'll, I'll, I'll um, take another look at your poetry, obviously, yeah, um, and, and we can have another chat. Well, let's, should we have a chat about the final days? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks for the quick little natter. Um, yeah, great to catch up with you, um, yes. you talented person, and um, I'm just going to press the... Um, stop button here I think I hope um, how do I stop it hello recording I'm editing Sam each title reminds me of something close to my heart and it's quite easy to kind of uh, sort those those thoughts and feelings out when I look at the title so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna write a song about everything I feel and everything I think when I look at the titles person clears throat in a remote room trying not to make it sound like a cough. Lockdown, sent down from the top down. They can't go out on the town, frown. Someone hides, trying hard but failing to touch the sides of the universe of colliding thoughts. Locked in a room, locked in a head that can't get off the bed. Stardust turning into sawdust, or maybe the other way round. Shouting, shooting stars fly by and then on into the future of what if, while all the while in while, a black hole sucks things in in the kitchen. In they go. See a light bright, blinked and hoped and telescoped across a void and pulled focused while you pulled them into orbit around a celestial body shy shining incandescent thing in the dark the thing next best to you is me even though you give me hell and heaven seven times worth its weight in golden moments stolen from where life stops tops and steeps in the glow of what's already steady go-go goes and gives an electric shock wave goodbye from the airport saw a light bright, blinked, and hoped. The hole blows them out the other side, and after a long nanosecond, they think, phew, that was a close one. The person thinks, sinking back into thought while hogging the bog on a bit of a roll, but without loo roll. But there's one good thing, Their auntie is getting a lot of attention from the government. She's formed a new company called Maxine's Vaccines. It's a bit, it's a bit sad kind of because Mm. you get inspired as well by going out and and doing things and having little adventures or whatever. But I think, I think this lockdown um, has, has its advantages in in some ways. Mm. I have a lot of time to think. Uh, yeah, sometimes a bit difficult as well, mm. but um, provides me with uh, with a lot of kind of 
um, inspirations and different um, different ideas for, mm -hmm. for stories, for songs, for music, for poetry, for um, you know, thirty more years I've been teaching this one. They, it's the one they mention when they come back or say. Yeah. Um, so I came to be thinking about its its relationship to us now in 2020 um, and, and in what ways it's prophetic. I mean, I've always thought that the play itself um, from the, 90, the late 1940s seems incredibly modern. Um, yeah. It seems very contemporary. It adapted in that um, marvellous production that we saw um at the National Theatre. Um, to a, a kind of Ikea-type flat setting. So, um, so in what way is it prophetic? And then I came up with this idea that... Um, uh, okay, this is going to be my little joke, but I'm going to lay this out here. <laughs> <laughs> that that little baby in the blue blanket at the end is actually Trump. <laughs> that okay. he is the inheritor of Stanley Kowalski's world. He's the king around here, um, or he certainly wants to be, thinks he is. Um, and I, it's that value system um, that um, America has always kind of led the way in terms of what happens there because it's so much an amalgam, a, a kind of melting pot of European uh, settlers and so on, um, mm. th that in a way it's leading the way. And that with the populist politics of Trump, and this kind of facade of the ordinary working man. Mm. Um, I mean, there's lots of tie-ins, actually. I actually did look at how old Trump was to see whether it was possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, but it came to think about, you know, of course it doesn't work in the sense that um, his manipulation of truth, which is related to Kowalski, I think, is 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 um, is on a par. But of course, the great quote about truth in the play is from Blanche, and she says, "I don't tell the truth; I tell what ought to be the truth." And of course, he could very much say that in his terms because it's highly yeah. subjective. Um, yeah. But I thought um, that that Stanley Kowalski does represent, and I think that's one of the reasons why the play is so powerful. He does represent in his. Um, you know, and his his t-shirt and his chinos and his his uh, his pecs and his cigarette no. lighting and his haircut and his but he represents the all American man as we've come to see him ever since actually yeah just just mutated yeah. into kind of you know Levi wearing and uh, you know um, and and so etc. So your thoughts? Sorry, I've thrown all that in. No, I think that's a I think that's a brilliant idea. This idea that the the child of Sandy <laughs> Kowalski grows up to become Donald Trump. I think it's a fabulous idea. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We better make sure this doesn't go out too widely. Um, no, well, well, of course, um, Stanley takes on the. Um, the racism implied in America, in in America, yeah. and, the, and and the racism we have now. So I mean, that would be yeah. another layer of, of. Well, and indeed, he the the sort of the sort of irony that Williams deliberately creates over sort of nationalism and immigration and immigrant identity, yeah. because there's all of these Polish insults that are levelled at Stanley, yes. um, but he. Uh, sort of refuses to acknowledge any of that heritage in a sense and says what I am is 100% American. American, um, proud as hell of it, yeah. 
Right. So, so perhaps rather than straightforwardly, uh, you know, uh, son of Stanley is is baby baby Donald. We could see <laughs> we could see the child as kind of a hybrid of of Donald Trump and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, uh, you know, who I don't know if you you remember the the kind of how utterly. Uh, 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 crazy his campaign was to run for governor of California because of course you've got this hulking uh, Austrian guy not Australian guy, hulking Austrian guy who um, could not sound more Austrian Mm. you know riding a Harley Davidson waving a gigantic American flag and you think what's What's going? What's going on? Um, that's, that's one of the things that Tennessee Williams is taking on because, of course, you know he'd come from a family where the mother, you know, had obviously um, uh, had delusions of, you know, class aspiration rising up, etc. Mm. Felt she was being dragged down, but like, you know, I think think I often think Tennessee Williams' heritage is was not unlike um, D.H. Lawrence, you know, with the yeah, minor yeah, father yeah, yeah. and the aspirational teacher mother and so on. William's father was a factory owner, wasn't he? he was it a shoe factory or something, something like that? But he's yeah. he's traveling traveling salesman. Um, uh, you know, he, he fell in love with the road, is the way Tennessee Williams always right. said, it, very right. romantically, as he did. But um, but no, that's that sort of working class kind of um, versus the whole Southern Belle and the you know the the, the so many of Williams's ideas seem to me come out of the of the fractured class system in America mm. um, and um, you know that's always denied and also obviously and I think I think in this case totally unbeknownst to to Williams himself out of the of the racism of of, of north and south you know he seems to uh, genuinely um, create in this play characters who feel that racism doesn't uh, doesn't rear its ugly head, but of course it does massively. Yeah, Not just in yeah. the shocking use of the N word, but also um, just in the assumptions that you know, like that, like that, like the you know, the prostitute on the street, the Negro woman, etc. Yeah. That that idea that you know they, these are the people who will fail, these are the people who will succeed, and um, so so I'm I'm going to say my first point about it being prophetic is that you know that in the end it's the it's it's the wised up white guy. Who's in control of things? Who's who's dealing the cards, both literally and 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 metaphorically? You know that great dominant metaphor over the whole play is gambling, is poker, which is not about luck. It's about how you use what you're given. It's about manipulation. Trick everybody else, and yeah. and in a sense, that's what Trump's done. You know, he's you know he's he's tricked us all into thinking he's made he's self-made. He's not self-made at all. Um, and so, nor so, is he a successful businessman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, so so I think it is a very powerful, searing examination of um, of the fluidity of the of the class system, the way it, you know, the way that um, automatic presumption of 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 of, um, uh, of money and power and esteem and and so on by you know, the rich first settlers in America, the southern settlers who made masses of money out of exploiting the conditions and and using slavery to make money out of the big crops that that the South would grow, the cotton, the tobacco, etc. I think it's I think Stanley represents the man who will challenge embedded privilege, even aristocratic privilege, you know, the fact Mm. that you know, even to the point where you know why he's married Stella, you know, because mm. he's 
you know, he says, oh, well, you know, I pulled you down off them columns and, you know, literally he's kind mm. of the, the working class kind of sexy brute who's, um, who, you know, it, it manifested in, in um, Marlon Brando's performance. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. done the play that you, he, he, he's the winner. Um, so I, again, I, I think it's massively prophetic about the fact that, that, that the old order changes. That's, that's yes. It. Yeah, and 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 uh, Trump is the twenty first twenty first century incarnation of that idea. Yes. He's the he's the post truth uh, internet era, internet news era version of uh, yes. of that story. And I know we talked we talked briefly about a, a quite a direct connection between the ideology of Trump and the and the details of of the play when we talked um, about Streetcar before I think we mentioned uh, the Huey Long quotation yeah. that, that's in there every man a king and, and the fact that actually if you look at the history books he's a sort of governor who basically sounds an awful lot like Trump you know <laughs> national nationalistic racist yeah. sexist very very pig-headed um and somebody shot him because he was yeah. because so many people you know he divided opinion so violently yeah. um uh but but picking up on this idea of um challenging the order um yeah. i think you're absolutely right i think um uh what both stanley and trump managed to the way they both managed to orient themselves is as a sort of um, voice for individual freedoms, yes. which is in both cases so strange and peculiar yeah. that they managed to pull this off, mm -hmm. um, that they become a sort of voice for a particular kind of masculine um, identity and hope and mm -hmm. the American dream and all of this. Um, and you know, linked to that, you get these hypocritical stories of of early critics of Streetcar completely mm. missing the point, and actually and actually reading this play in in a way that confirms William's worst fears, mm. which is that you know Stanley is a kind of guy fighting for his rights. Yeah. Oh, uh, who you know um, just happens to rape his sister in law. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. As a sort of as a sort of necessary consequence of a situation that's outside of his control, mm. yeah. <laughs> which is you know, and Williams must have been simultaneously um, uh, uh, really gratified that he'd completely hit the nail on the head in terms of what was wrong with American culture, and utterly horrified that he'd managed to nail it so completely that yeah, the people I, I, actually. Yeah which he did and I'm just going to do uh, spread it out again because I think this is not a critique of America I think it's a critique of humanity because I think that's why this play is so very good um, and I love the fact that we've got Pablo and Steve we've got this kind of smattering of the you know of the of the rich heritage of races that is America um, and that's why I think American culture is so interesting to look at because it is an amalgam of, of you know of so many different um, cultural backgrounds and um, 
I, I think, yeah, it is, it, is, it is questioning why we can't live peaceably together, why we can't let talent. I mean, you know, it takes us across to Iago and Othello. It takes us across this idea of, you know, why, why, why does privilege have to win the day? Um, mm. Well, obviously, there's a question of education. But you see, that, that was one of the things I felt about Stanley and Trump is I don't think both of them are highly educated men, but they are very wily, clever men. Mm. And that whole scene two thing where, you know, where he grills Blanche about where the money from from from, from Belle Reeves gone and you know, and he keeps going, you know, and, and her her wardrobe, that 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 wonderfully comic, tragic yeah. scene where he kind of disembarks yeah, yeah. her wardrobe and, and kind of says, Well, who paid for these? And you know, and yeah. and uh, you know, at every stage he you know, he says I don't know, but I know a man who does. You yeah, know? I, have a, I, have an, I have an acquaintance yeah. who can value that. They make an appraisal of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the most flimsy authority. Yeah, but but let, let's let's move on to the women because um, you know I found myself thinking, well, then who's the Melania around here? Well, clearly it's Stella. But then that le you know, Stella in the sense that, you know, I think both of the women in this play are extraordinary because, again, like, I, you know, I made that case about Desdemona, but I would say about what's so truthful about both these women um, is that uh, both of them acknowledge, um, at least to themselves, and I'm thinking Stella here, um, uh, how important sex is to them, how important desire is to them. I mean, the whole play kind of A Streetcar Named Desire, I mean, that is one element. It, you know, initially it promises to be a very sexy play, but in actual fact, it's not sexy at all, I don't think, because it, it, mm. it, it's so much about power and brutality. and it's, a, it, it, it's only sexy in a sort of grim way. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> in, 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 in a few moments. So, so there's Stella, who's obviously made this decision to kind of sell her daytime self for the pleasures of her nighttime self um in a in a in a you know but also with a with a big you know kind of logical decision because she is you know if you want to survive a massacre stand by the the strongest guy there you know and and that's what stanley is so you know she will be protected as his woman and she is i mean again i was thinking of the um you know the scene three where where stanley slaps her thigh and 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 that demonstration of sexual power over his woman and indeed over women in general is very much part of the power he exercises over the other men a kind of mm. you know jealousy look at me guys um mm. and stella of course knows that but she acquiesces in it she accepts it she you know she turns away you know the last gesture on stage the unbuttoning of the cardigan um she's sold herself to that life of the senses and in doing so and survival pure survival um mm. and arguably of course you know the survival of her child although mm. one you know baby donald is going to um be exposed to all the vagaries of his father's behavior um but then it leaves blanche and again I, that comes back to the fact that i think blanche is so prophetic because she does yeah. acknowledge the power of desire that extraordinary speech when she tries to justify the fact that uh, the fact of her casual promiscuity with the soldiers yeah. and everybody else that idea that somehow every lover you know, to use her language, not 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 the reality, but every uh, guy she sleeps with might turn out to be Prince Charming, might turn out to be, um, you know, the one who saves her, who sees her for what she is. Um, when there's that deeply, deeply sad confession from Blanche that men only admit they love you when they're making love to you. And it, and it's... Um, 
I, I think you're absolutely right about Blanche being a key to the to the prophetic nature of the play. Mm. Um, and th this play is, is in all senses ahead of its time because Williams is fully aware that this character Blanche cannot exist in 1947, that she will be ridiculed, that she will be belittled, Mm. Um, and and that she will be aggressively silenced if necessary. Yeah, she is, and it's and it's only you know. So in a sense, Blanche is the is the is the sort of is the sort of proto-feminist, the kind of yes. you know the the the, the women of, of the woman of feminist strength, um, who exists at a time at a time you know many decades before me too where yes. there is no platform and no opportunity for her um legitimate grievances mm. to gain any kind of ground or to be voiced in any legitimate way mm. so what she's left with basically is kind of screaming hysterically about all the terrible things that are being done to her i.e all the terrible things that are being done to women yeah um, and 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 being utterly utterly you know uh, abused and 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 belittled you know because of it yeah um, I, I by the uh, way another thought i had was was this was is donald the the child of blanche's rape oh god <laughs> But that, oh. would, that would be giving. Um, that's, that would be, <laughs> that's such a terrifying thought. Yeah, um, that, I just that would a, be a couple of Trump more grace than he deserves. I suppose. no, probably yeah, <laughs> a little bit, little bit too much of a grand sweep for Trump. Yeah. A bit of a Greek tinge to it for Trump. Um, a, a couple of things that occurred to me off the off the back of the the parallel. Clearly, Stanley and son of Stanley have this this kind of rampant materialism that, that is so still so utterly integral to American identity and Trump is like the ideal you know he's the poster child for that because of course you know this is a guy who somehow managed to steer himself into the position of representing the people mm. who made money first of all in the 1970s in New York mm. by by doing up apartment blocks and selling yeah. them for extraordinary amounts of money to very wealthy people, thereby yeah. beginning the process of pushing all of the little people off, off the map. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, Stanley is, that, is a sort of working-class everyman, but on the other hand, he's also somebody that, given half a chance, would leave everyone else in the dust. Yeah, which he is, shows which is, absolutely no loyalty. He claims yeah. it about Mitch, but yeah. you know, it, it, it's no, he so doesn't. Care. He doesn't give a <laughs> shit up. Oh, sorry. He, <laughs> he doesn't. I'll believe that one out. He doesn't. Um, he, he doesn't he care about Mitch. Like, yeah. And otherwise, he would. He wouldn't tell him. He, he uses that as a sort of flimsy legitimization of of his own desire to be in control of others. Yeah, and, uh, and Stanley is purely driven by power and. Uh, with 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 his sexual power as a part of that drive, yeah. whereas Blanche. Yeah. But just just really quickly, we need to nail this, I think. But I think I, I totally agree with you that the irony is that we have this extraordinary image, this iconic image of um, Blanche, 
And there's been lots of brilliant Blanches. I'm not sure there's been lots of brilliant Stanleys, but there's been lots of brilliant Blanches. But Vivian Lee still sums it up, especially when when in life we know that she was massively uh, promiscuous and, and insecure herself. Um, but so on one side, she has this kind of China fragility, Dutch adult fragility about her and this mm. beauty and this desirability and this kind of, you know, great, you know, kind of, um, oh, I don't know, um, longing to be loved and desired, etc. Mm. Mm. Um, but on the other side, she's the one, you know, it's really interesting. She's the one that, you know, in scene four after uh, the poker game and after she's witnessed that Stella will not easily break away from Stanley um, and she's seen this great lure of, of, of desire etc um, she's the one that's kind of going how do I earn the money how do I earn the money um, mm. and she's got mm. a logical sense that you know women can take control of their destiny and, and, yeah. and the economic issues are central to, 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 to the you know to the empowerment oh, she, she's smart as a whip yeah. And, and Stanley is quite clear on that. You know, if you maybe a careless reading of the text would be able to miss that fact. But but Blanche is is probably the most intelligent person in the entire play. Why not? Yeah. Um, uh, Stella has intelligence, but she has, in a sense, chosen to, like you said, she's sort of chosen to renege her the responsibilities yeah. of her own intelligence and just yeah. sidelines it. so so that's debatable but but blanche you know she understands everything about why she lost bell reeve uh, yep. she understands everything about the economics of womanhood in 1947 and what it yep. means to be married to as she puts it a madman yeah. um and but but the point is that at every at every point and this is williams great the, the tragedy that he perceives in mid-century America, which we are now saying is still largely the tragedy of the 21st yeah. century, is the opportunities to gain ground, opportunities to find security are mm. constantly being pulled out from under her feet. Yeah. The world just keeps saying no and yeah. taking that opportunity away from, from yeah. her. Yeah. Um, and judging her on all the brittle surface criteria that the, the Belle Reeve, the beautiful dream, of America has has given that women are as only as valuable as their desirability or their you know or their sexual record and um and that's what's used to condemn her that's what's used to kind of lock her up at the end um when of course the real cock of the yard is is the one who's driving that so um I, I again I think it's hugely pertinent I mean I think the whole me too generation thing we have seen extraordinary change when in fact we're living through very interesting time, Sam, aren't we? Yeah, we really we are. Those heave hoes and now this. Um, the old order changeth. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how it goes on. I, again, I'm going to close it by saying I think that in the end, it's um, the women's ambivalence. The men, at least, are more straightforward in this play. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that is definitely a, a continuance today. That is definitely prophetic. Um, and we haven't talked about Mitch, but of course, Mitch is torn between... Um, you know the, the the working class background that he shares with Stanley, um, mm -hmm. and the the grace and civilized values of poetry and dance and um, cultural aspiration that Blanche's world so what, as well as love. So so Mitch would be the sort of the sort of all of the hopeless uh, Democrat candidates. Yes, you know yes. the sort of totally. the sort of weak the sort of weak liberal that stand absolutely no chance of success <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. On that totally depressing note. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was really great, Louise. Okay. I'm going to go and get coffee because it's yeah. that time. I think I think you know this. I've told you before, but when there's something and it's, I feel like it's not quite yes perfect yet. I get really frustrated and I work on it over and over again. I delete stuff and I, then I write stuff again, and then I delete it again. Yep, and it's quite exhausting. <laughs> then in the end, I just want something that I'm happy with, even cool. when I look at it like three years later. I haven't even really thought about it for more than about 10 seconds, mate. I just just thought, um, after what you said, Alice, about doing some writing, and I know that you guys have been collaborating on bits and pieces for a while now, um, I thought it'd be really cool to have a chat about what you're working on at the moment. Um, And it'd also be really interesting to hear your take on how it's working now that the world has gone mad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that the world has broken how are you um you know how's that affecting your writing because i know i like i know some people who've who particularly writers and kind of creative types who've really thrived under this and have just been like this is perfect all of my deadlines are like over and i can just crash on with these big projects that i've been wanting to get done for like years um yeah just just talk me through what you're what you guys are working on at the moment you've got a piece of writing on the go yeah obviously like our edinburgh fringe um piece is now on hold <laughs> until 2021 um but oliver and i have both we've both so Oliver and I were going to write um, a radio play, which might still happen, but we're just writing bits and bobs, like spoken word and um, things. Nice. Um, and it's, yeah, it's good. It's it's something to, like, fill the time. And yeah. it's quite a good space of time to, like, because the, the good thing about, the, the thing about writing is you kind of need a lot of time to procrastinate. And mm. that was time. So um, writing scripts and stuff is is like it's an ideal time now because we've got so much time to think. Yeah. Well, the thing about Alice is that mm-hmm. we wrote it to be very current. Yeah. Exactly. Next year it won't be current anymore. So yeah. that's what we need to do. We'll need to. That's got to keep working, keep moving. But we can't write about next year's trends and what's going on next year now. So. Right. It's, mm-hmm. It's tricky to have a project like that that you know you're going to have to go back to and you want to do it now, but you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by the same token, I suppose you hear quite a lot, don't you, stories of writers who have sort of written a thing and and then and then it sort of turns into something completely different like and then all of a sudden I I kept changing it and it became this thing. So so I don't think 
um, all of that work that you've done for Edinburgh and stuff, that's that is definitely going to inform yeah, what yeah. you guys mm -hmm. do next. It, or you know, and you might even end up with chunks of it kind of reappearing in in later kind of kind of things. So it's all it's all good good work, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah. So you're right. So you, at the moment you're writing little bits and pieces. Um, and anything in particular, or are you just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing what what works? I'm trying a bit of sort of poetry, spoken word and stuff, which I've not really done a lot of before. I've done bits, but it's never very good. Um, but it's nice to have like the time that we do because I can sort of hone in on that skill and like experiment mm. a bit because I've got the space to do so. And then. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've both mentioned this now. So let's talk about it for a second. This idea that in order to be a successful writer, in order to succeed in your writing projects, you have to have a load of space to basically whiffle about, like procrastinate and kind of not really do anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how does that how does that work for you? How do you um, uh, at what point does it start to kind of come together into like, OK, I'm going to start writing something in a minute, any minute. <laughs> like what's your what's your process for writing? Well, I think that it's so much easier, like when I was writing with Olive it's so much easier to be productive because there's like two brains and mm -hmm. um we kind of sit down and decide to do the writing and it goes um I mean usually we get quite a lot done um but we usually start with like when it comes to plays and stuff we usually start with the characters um that's what we did for the Edinburgh play yeah. um and we have like loads of ways of just like trying to make them as three dimensional and as like real and current as possible mm -hmm. um, and fun to play as well. And then um, but yeah, I think it's so, so much easier um, with someone else. Mm. Um, it was like a really good experience. I think with, by myself, I just kind of wait until it's usually when I'm sad. I get mm. I write so much but I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean there's a, it's it's it is it's a slightly alarming thing, but there it's mm. definitely true. So it's about which is that the writing process then becomes a really important part of the healing process. Collaboration's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Alice, you basically said that you couldn't do it without it. Um Olive, what what do you think about collaboration? How's that work for you? It depends on what you're doing I think that um with Alice and I, I I think we both have the tendency to sort of get an idea in our heads and then it's in our heads and then it needs to go onto paper but there's that step in between that's explaining it to somebody else because you sort of both need to be on the same wavelength when you're writing the same thing and we tried working even over FaceTime we tried writing and it just wasn't the same mm. we couldn't do it because we, it was not we weren't together like we'd have ideas and it's sort of silently mold into the same thing it's really bizarre but mm. I think you need to have a certain trust in someone that you're writing with as well because it's such a vulnerable thing and it's inevitable that characters and plot and everything it's going to relate back to you because it's what you know you write mm. about what you know best so if you're going yeah. to be vulnerable may as well sort of do it with someone you don't mind being vulnerable with yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you definitely can't be shy if no. you're going to collaborate strangely like we even in the boarding house we'd be like in in our own separate rooms on different sides of the building and then we decide that wasn't working and Alice would come around to my room and practice <laughs> like that. 
um, just because it's, I don't know why, but I think we communicate because we work on Google Docs, so you can sort of write and then you see what the other person's writing at the same time. Um, <laughs> Alice, Alice looks like she might have some uh, some stories about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think she might, yeah. Um, and it, it's sort of, that's where the communication happens in terms of writing. And then we, we sort of, I don't, I don't quite know why it doesn't work, but it, it doesn't. I think it's something about, I don't know, proximity. We can even work in silence when it's, were actually together mm. yeah bizarre. I think it's just the explain it's the whole um kind of getting get getting the other person into your mind and yeah. just seeing your vision um because it's really important that it's um I think I think because as, as long as you don't have contrasting ideas about how art should be um, mm. like what what you think art is and stuff I think it's um it's easier as long as you you have trust in the other person but yeah. um I think that like we have been using virtual platforms to talk to I mean uh, like to create in a like a slightly bigger sense the idea of helping Will with this we've been having zoom meetings with him and um i guess it's it's a way for us all to it is a better way for us all to be connected but i think ideally like face to face is you know yeah. preferable yeah. but yeah <laughs> I, do <laughs> I, I know it's so true isn't it you said something really interesting alice which is that in order to write with somebody else you have to both have the same basic idea of what art is like what it means and 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 you know what it should be i think we share a big thing about in terms of writing like plays specifically we mm. share a big thing about making it character driven and we're mm. star signs and like loads of different ways to sort of discern them from one another but um distinguish sorry but um i think that um I think that, well, I mean, let's limit it down a little bit. For, like, <laughs> in terms of theatre, yeah. um, I think um, Oliver and I have quite a similar, um, like, we like and dislike a lot of the same things. And um, I think our idea about what we want to see on stage is quite similar. Mm. So I think that from that, um, I guess it's just um, something that we haven't seen before, something that's like entertaining, but something that's, um, I guess that it can be something that we've seen before, just written in a slightly different way or um, exploring a slightly different um, topic within that. Um, mm. Like, for instance, let's come back to our Edinburgh play. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, we explored youth culture, which obviously has been explored quite a lot. But um, we explored it um, um, by using our experiences of being within the youth culture of the moment, um, mm -hmm. rather than writing from outside it, which we, we talk quite a lot about. So, yeah, I think it's just um, mm -hmm. just finding out what you like, what you dislike, and like what you... Yeah think 
should be seen. Yeah, Jono. Yeah. I also yeah. I think there's a thing about good art that means if you start out on the same path that you finish, it sort of hasn't gone through the development that makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. So we've we started out in a bathroom and then it was a portaloo and then it was like some weird waiting for Godot hybrid. It was it was really bizarre, but we've ended up in sort of a, st- a totally different realm to where we started, but we've stayed on the same topics because yeah. that's what, what was actually current for us and what was actually interesting. So another thing, I don't think it needs to be art to be, I don't think art has to have like, be written from experience, but I think that a lot of the best writings from experience, like if you, t- one of my favourite books, The Bell Jar, is... Yeah. Um, if you sort of research into Sylvia Plath's life, the parallels are amazing. Like there's so many. Yeah. Because yeah. I suppose you just are naturally inclined to write about what you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you a bit more about your Edinburgh piece specifically because clearly that's going to be a big kind of um, launch pad for whatever mm. you guys end up doing next. Um, I, I'm I'm really interested. I'm really glad that that you guys are, are coming back to this idea of basically just saying talking about what you know in art. It strikes me that that is kind of one of the most important principles of all good art, whether it's visual arts or or a novel or poetry or whatever. Um, that you have to write about what you know. Um, and in that sense, I'm really struck by this recently, more and more really struck by this idea that all art is basically autobiographical. Um, yeah. and, I, and I had this realisation quite late on with Beckett, you know, the, the, the these, these things that seem quite abstract, quite arty and quite disconnected from the real. And then you read about Beckett's life and you go, well, actually, there's loads in there that's autobiographical. And also he was basically really ill a lot of, for a lot of his adult life. So he writes about people who are really ill. <laughs> so, and all of a sudden you go, oh my God, these aren't abstract, mm-hmm. high art experiments. They're actually just little reflections of his world, um, basically. And it's a really interesting, um, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, and the Bell Jar is a fantastic book. I haven't read it for years and years, but I remember it making a massive impression on me when I was about 14, 15. Uh, just like, what, what is this? Uh, it's such a sad book. Yeah. It's such a it's sad not, book. It's not miserable. It's just sort of, it's it's beautifully sad in a, in a yeah. strange Yeah, yeah, um, that's it. Okay, your Edinburgh play. Talk to me. Talk to me a bit about it. Let's not show away from it. I realise it must be a bit painful, because because Edinburgh has been can- like everything else. Edinburgh has been cancelled, um, but but I'm sure it will form a really integral part of whatever you guys do next. So yeah, just just talk to me a bit about your your Edinburgh project. Well, the cancellation is sort of a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because it gives us more room to work it out and make it mm-hmm. what we really want it to be because it's tricky to know with us especially when you're done <laughs> so um how would we we described it in loads of different ways but we sort of yeah. tried to um explain it as um an exploration of youth culture through the eyes of those that are actually experiencing it because mm-hmm. we thought there's plenty of theater that is written by 
a 35 year old man that hasn't been a teenager for decades mm-hmm. um, writing about teenagers which is all very well but um, yes. a big inspiration for us was Skins the TV show which is actually written by um, a lot of the writing is it's not completely verbatim but it's taken from the writers teenage kids I think one of the writers might have been a teenager I'm not certain on that but um, it was sort of we watched it and we were like oh that's actually kind of accurate and that's something that I don't think we'd seen before and we wanted to not replicate that actually to be fair in the early process because we were so like <clears throat> hooked we loved skins we watched it loads and then everyone was like you know this is just skins but on stage <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no it is so we had to make some changes there um, <laughs> but, um yeah we sort of it was something that we'd seen once and it had never been sort of replicated for us since so we wanted to do that i reckon wanted yeah. to sort of take that as your stepping stone into something yeah, new. But it's something entirely different because the only the only thing that's the same premise is it's what it's exploring because mm. the point of skins is it's character dri- driven Obvi- and obviously skins is the youth culture of kind of the early 2000s and mm. um and specifically yeah and obviously a lot has changed since then and I think it was the most interesting process was making the characters um, that's like the most important and first process for us is um to develop the characters and some characters came in later um we usually but I mean the the amazing thing about being an actor and a writer is being is basically saying if I could perform any role in the world, what would I choose to play? So that was a really interesting process. Um, And it's turned out as like, um, it's, yeah, crazy. And a lot of people, we took a lot of um, inspiration from once we had kind of cast it, we took quite a lot of inspiration from the cast members and like their experience. like Izzy Withy was like quite a big uh, part on that and just like (coughs) the like banter that teenagers have and stuff and just exploring that and kind of um but also the slightly more um like serious and um darker sides of being a teenager and Mm. um like mental illness but we wanted to explore the idea of um the kind of undiagnosed help because and kind of the normalization of that because um that was something that we want that we thought that was um quite big still Mm. um whether that be just small um we we had an idea when we were in we on the like first stages of the um writing process we had an idea that we were going to do it in a bathroom and we wanted to explore like um the different ways that teenagers use throwing up um (laughs) which sounds which sounds weird but like it was it's kind of the normalization of throwing up and of like Mm. after you've had too many drinks like tea seeing and stuff and like the different ways that and and kind of the being something so um kind of 
physically shocking to your body. I think you guys can be can definitely definitely um, take like reassurance from the fact that all I I don't think this is an exaggeration. All great writers have at some point early on in their careers tried really hard to sound like someone who they think is brilliant. That seems to just be a natural, inevitable, and I think actually quite promising sign of a of someone who's really into their writing. Because what else are you going to do? You see something and you think, that is brilliant. I want to do that. So you work at becoming like that. But then but then at some point, like you were saying, it sort of changes shape and becomes something slightly different. And that's that's it. That is exactly the the, the process that, that I think all great writers go through. So let's yeah. stay in touch over stay in touch over email and throw some ideas around and then maybe, you know, try and pull something together for next week and do a bit of a group chat with people yeah. reading some stuff. Yeah. We could do that. Guys. Thank you so much. This has been really cool. Really good to catch up. Yeah, and you. yeah, have a really nice day. Go and get some coffee, and okay. um, I will I will send all of your uh, love and best wishes to the lovely boys. All right. Thank you. Yes. See you guys soon. Nice all the best. Oh. And I remember you said that once that he kind of has the power to translate beauty into words, and I just yeah. I just think. Every time I, I read a poem of his or, or a little story or anything, um, I feel that's true. Every word is kind of written with with so much with so much love and so much devotion, and it's, it's just it's so so inspiring. And the way the way he talks about things, the metaphors that he uses for for death and for for tragedy, for love, for the for his like inner conflict, it's just. It's so beautiful. It's yeah. so beautiful.